was a kid I found a robin's egg and hid it on timber of an old abandoned shock which was sitting in a field full of raspberry bushes with a crab apple tree around the back and a stream going by at the bottom of a hill for rock in the middle and if you sat still you could see the middle swimming from an overhang and you could listen to the heat bug drill it's a very sorry thing for people who can live and remember back. Welcome to Radio Free School. I'm, uh, I'm Ken Hall and uh, I've been involved uh, since retirement uh, with the Remedial Action Plan for Hamilton Harbour. The work I've been doing there with fish and wildlife habitat restoration has been one of the big big projects. I'm also with, with the RBG, with their science and conservation program. Uh, and uh, uh, at the present time I'm uh, chairing the committee that uh, is working on the Niagara Scarment World Biosphere Reserve Interpretive Center. Yeah, I'm I'm 72 now, and I've been uh, been retired from uh, the educational field since '89. Uh, I grew up in the east end of Hamilton, and uh, I lived on uh, Balmoral Avenue, and that was uh, basically uh, with Ottawa Street and Barton Street uh, in that in that core area. That's where I spent my early years. I, I just in, in reminiscing, you go back by the old house every once in a while just to look at things, just to see how, how things are and how they're different and that sort of thing. And then one day I went by and uh, and uh, I saw a young lad sitting on uh, the front steps of of the house and it it got me thinking a bit about what life was like for me when I was his age sitting on those same steps at that time and uh, because of all the work I'm doing in in, uh, in restoration uh, and involved in trying to make this city a better place I, I, I thought for a while I said is it really any better for that kid sitting there now than it was when I was sitting there and I came to the conclusion that I didn't think I didn't think that his opportunities were as, as good as mine, and I thought about that. I thought a lot about what I was doing sort of as a kid, what I was capable of doing in that area, which probably he wasn't able to do at the present time. I used to go to the harbor area frequently as a young boy, like for fishing. I used to go down to, uh, to uh, Black Bridge, 
and uh, and fished there at uh, at Blackbridge, and that used to be sort of a kind of a summer sort of occupational type of thing. And uh, we'd go down there and be able to catch uh, bass and catfish and perch and that sort of thing. The kids, the kids, I was never much of a, a one for bringing fish home, but it was the you know the catching them and then throwing them back in was the type of thing. But uh, it was a site that uh, you, you would find a lot of fishermen in that particular area. Whereas I look at that area now and uh, I can't even find it. It's changed down there so much and, uh, and it's, it, that's at the mouth of the Red Hill Creek and it's, it's got so dirty and that sort of thing that, that no one fishes in that area. So that's, that's sort of gone and, and I think, well, a young boy now couldn't go down and, and do things like that. And of course the beach strip itself wasn't that far away. You had a bicycle and you could even walk. It wasn't that far. You had a bicycle. You go down and, and uh, to the beach uh, in the summertime. And of course uh, it was always Van Wagner's beach was, was very close there in that area. But the water in Lake Ontario was always too cold. So we never swam in the lake. Uh, we always went into the bay, you know, the bay because the bay water was much warmer. So all the kids would, would swim on the bay side. And uh, I look at that strip now, and uh, there's no possibility of any swimming there at at the moment. Uh, so that's that's kind of lost to to uh, all the kids that would normally normally do that in in that particular area. And of course, the uh, the uh, the other side of uh, was the, the escarpment. It wasn't that far, and. Uh, to walk to the escarpment, and we used to walk to the escarpment, and uh, that was that that was our playground. That was a natural area there, uh, on the escarpment edge. It was uh, the area we went to. Uh, basically, was the area right at the the uh, foot of Ottawa Street where the old uh, brickworks uh, were. There, there was a trail that went from there, uh, from Ottawa Street uh, right up to the Mountain View Park, and uh, we used to play all around that particular area, and it was sort of. Uh, there you were in the city, but you were sort of you could reach the escarpment very easily. Now that's still there, and that's one of the things that I think we have preserved in our area. But of course, it was always those hikes off to Albion Falls, those sections, and I can I can remember very clearly going along those areas. It used to always be those natural little streams and things that you could drink that water at that time, and you always go along there, refreshing yourself as you went along, and you get to when you get to Red Hill Creek, you could. Uh, you could uh, cook your beans and things on the gas that bubbled up from the the stream in various places, and it was it was it was kind of a it was kind of a marvelous place to to go to as a as a young person. And you can see all that changing, you know, like the development they've got up on the top of the escarpment makes that water that uh, you can't you can't drink it anymore. And uh, even around Albion Falls, it's grown in there so much that it's just a, the road right very close. There's very little there that's, that seems natural in that stage and, uh, and a, lot of, uh, a lot of pollution down the creek. And it's, it's, very, it's a very sorry thing for people who can live and remember back. It's that, that neighborhood type of thing that's, that's there too. Ottawa Street, uh, Barton Street, was the sort of thing where, I mean, you walked you walk to the grocery store and that sort of thing, and and, and there were all the the various. There was such a variety of shops along Ottawa Street. This was the sort of thing where you could get almost anything you needed within walking distance in that area. If we sort of say, if this is progress, I wonder. I wonder if it's it's if we are going the right direction in some of these things that we're doing. So, I think with with everybody with automobiles and that sort of thing can go farther afield to do things, but. Uh, we're losing the things that are sort of 
were so just within walking distance of people and so convenient for people to live and, and I think that it, it built it built better communities. You know, that's that's what I really think. And I think we've maybe gone too far, gone the wrong direction in, in some of those things. So today I think parents become very worried about their kids getting, you know, very much farther from their own front door. It's where are they and what are they doing? And uh, and I don't think I don't think uh, my parents or the parents of the kids that I grew up with had that same concern. And and I think it was just sort of a a feeling that that the communities were were safe. You know, they weren't absolutely safe, but there was. There was more of a association with with neighbors. Uh, I think my parents felt that when I was out on the street, that uh, there were lots of people on that street that would be looking after me as well as as they would have to in that in that case. And and I sort of see that changing now, where where people have difficulty naming their neighbors that are three or four doors from them in this case and down around. Whereas we knew everybody on the block and several blocks behind us and you know on different streets around there were all this sort of associations because they would go to the same social events so that you had this large group of people so I think you could wander a little farther afield and your parents still feel that you were relatively secure and, and safe in that in that type of environment that we had and um, I don't know how we managed to lose that, but um, I, I think it's I think it's growth of city. You you become slowly but surely more inner city in in, in those in those aspects, and you you lose a lot of the a lot of the community things that uh, are the the things that bind people together. So I, I think that I think the the obstacles to returning things to as they were are almost almost impossible to bring things back to to what they were before and you may not you may not ever want them to be back exactly as they were before but uh, I think you can go a long way in returning some of the things that you feel are most important to you I, I know in our work in the harbor when we say hey we've got can we get the the harbor back with the fish and wildlife to a stage where people can go down there enjoy the natural areas you know fish and and relax and things of that sort can't be done in all parts of the harbor but there are places in the harbor where it can be done and if we put our emphasis on that we can develop enough that people can have some places to go to like you know that it was down to well almost five percent uh, of the area that was accessible and now they're getting pretty close to 25% and that makes a, a major difference to the accessibility to the harbor. We can do, we can do things like that and we can, we can retain uh, historical buildings and, and things of this nature which can maybe serve a different function but they're, they're still there and they're still part of our heritage and uh, and part of the things that that uh, we grew up with and we can we can retain some of those things and uh, and build some of those things in so I, I think a lot of it is it's um, it's really taking the day and sort of saying what have we got now that is really important to us and 
really making a, a sincere effort to preserve it and retain it. Uh, because if we lose it, we can't bring it back in a lot of cases. It just, it just isn't, isn't possible. And that's so true, that's so true of the natural areas. That, uh, that's, that's the hardest part to bring back. I think we just take them for granted that they're there and, and we use them at the time and then we just don't, we don't worry if, if little bits of them get lost or pieces of them disappear because there's always more but then you come down to the stage where there isn't more, you know, it's just, it's just, just gone and, and to bring those back it's, it's just, well, you can do it with millions and millions of dollars but it's not, it's not easy. So I guess my my whole sort of purpose is to sort of say, if you, if it's worthwhile now, preserve it now and keep it now and and make your make your list of things. I want these for my kids and my grandchildren and to keep them here and in these areas so they've got what I had when I was a kid. So that's that's uh, that's really the way that I look at it at the present time. When I was a kid, I found a robin's egg and hid it on a timber in an old abandoned shack that was sitting in a field full of raspberry bushes with a crab apple tree around the back and a stream going by at the bottom of a hill with a rock in the middle. And if you sat still, you could see the minnows swim and from an overhanging limb, you could listen to the heat bug trill. And early every day, all of my friends and I would play, digging holes and finding gold among the rocks, and looking for salamanders, and eating all the berries, and rolling down the hill in a box. Until one day they came with their machinery, and dozed down the shack, and hacked up the greenery, and stuffed the stream in a concrete pipe, and leveled the hill away. And then they built a couple of mounds to make it look round And brought in loads of sod And planted a row of trees that came up to our knees Without a speck of shade it looked so odd And there were no more dragonflies and no crayfishing And they called it a parkette after a politician And put up a sign saying no ball playing And nobody ever went there anymore you are listening to Radio Frisco on CFMU. The streets are free. Story by Carusa. Very long ago, when Carlito's grandfather was a boy, mountain lions roamed the hills of Venezuela. One particular mountain was covered with forests and bushes, small creeks and dirt paths. Every morning the mist would reach down and touch the flowers and the butterflies. On the hill above the town of Caracas, where Chio, Carlitos, and Camila now live, there was just one house, 
It was a simple house made of mud and dried leaves from sugar cane and banana plants. In the morning, when the family went to fetch water, they often saw lion's tracks in the soft earth. Later, they would stop by the creeks to catch sardines for dinner. Years passed and more people came from towns and villages all over Venezuela to make their homes on the mountainside. They built their houses of wood and the children played among the trees, in the creeks, and on the open fields. The forest began to grow towards the new village and the village began to grow towards the forest. The dirt road that led to the big city was soon covered with asphalt. And more people came. There were so many houses that they reached right to the top of the mountain where the lion tracks used to be. The creeks became sewers. The dirt paths were littered with garbage. The mountain became a very poor town called the Barrio San Jose. The children who used to play in the open fields could no longer play there, nor in the forest, nor in the streams. The fields in the valleys were now filled with office towers. The whole mountain was covered with houses. The main road became a highway. There were only a few trees and not one flower. The children had nowhere to play. After school, Chio, Carlitos, and Camila went to a house that was converted into a library. There they read books and played with clay and paints and board games and all kinds of interesting things. But they had nowhere to play hopscotch or soccer or baseball or tag. After they left the library, they played in the street. One day, while they were playing leapfrog, a grocery truck came barreling down the street. The driver shouted, Get out of the way! Let me through! The streets are free! Said the boys. But the truck was much bigger and more powerful than the children, so they walked to the top of the mountain to fly their kites. In about half an hour, every one of the kites was tangled in the hydro wires. The children went back down the mountain to play ball. But the ball kept getting lost in people's washing and trapped on rooftops. One woman ran out of her house when the children were trying to fetch the ball. Get out of here, she shouted, or I'll hit you with my broom. The streets are free, said the youngest boy. But the children knew they had better leave her alone. Dejected, they went to the library. They sat down on the steps and thought. There must be somewhere we can play, said Camila. Let's go to the mayor and tell him we need someone to play, suggested another. Where does he live, asked Carlitos, the smallest boy. The children looked at each other. Nobody knew. Let's go to City Hall. That can't be too far away. But we can't go there without adults. They won't listen to us at City Hall, said Camilla with big sad eyes. Then let's ask our parents. So the children went from house to house to ask their parents to go with them to City Hall. But their parents were cooking, sewing, washing, repairing, away working in other words, busy. The children returned to the library steps. They just sat there and felt very sad. Then the librarian appeared. Why all the sad faces, he asked. The children told him. What do you want to tell the mayor? We want a playground. Do you know where? Yes. Said Carlitos. An empty lot in the bottom of the mountain. Do you know what it should look like? Well. Why don't you come inside and discuss it? 
They talked for more than an hour. Chio, the oldest boy, took notes on a large pad. Good, said the librarian. And now what do you want to do? We're still in the same boat, said Camilla. What good is a piece of paper if adults won't go with us to see the mayor? Won't they go with you? They won't even listen to us, Camilla said. Have you tried going alone? Well, no. So what do you want to do? The children looked at each other. Let's make a banner, said Chio. They all worked together and made a sign that said, We have nowhere to play. We need a playground. Tomorrow we'll plan the details of the librarian. And he left for the chess club. The children put the finishing touches on their sign. It's perfect like this. They rolled up the sign and the large list with their notes. We're ready. They said. Again, the children looked at each other. Why don't we go right now? A few children said at the same time. With a banner and the large list of notes rolled up under their arms, the children of San Jose walked to City Hall. City Hall was even bigger than they imagined. The doorway was very high. Standing in the middle of it was a big fat man. No one comes in here, he said. We came to ask for a playground. We came to see the people at City Hall. We need a playground. But the people at the council don't want to see you. Go home or I'll call the police. Look, this is the kind of playground we want, said Carlitos innocently, and he unrolled the paper with their notes on it. Camilla said, We need someone to play. And she unrolled the banner. Get out of here, shouted the fat man. The streets are free. Chio shouted back and he sat down. We're not going to move until they listen to us, said another boy. In the library, they told us that City Hall is going to listen to us. Back in San Jose, the mothers were worried. They couldn't find their children. Somebody said she saw them leaving the library with some big sheets of paper. Oh no, mumbled the librarian. I think I know where they are. The fat man in the doorway of City Hall was yelling so much that his face was turning redder and redder. A crowd gathered around City Hall to see what all the fuss was about. Then everything happened at once. The mothers, the librarian, and the police all arrived at City Hall at the same time. The mothers shouted, What are you doing? Take them away! shouted the fat man to the police. They're disturbing the peace! The policemen started pulling the children by their arms. Excuse me, the librarian raised one hand. But what is going on here? They won't let us talk to anyone about our playground, said Carlitos. The police are going to arrest them and put them in jail for their bad behavior, said the fat man. Then one mother, who was even bigger and fatter than he, stood in front of the children. Oh, no, you don't, she said. If you put a hand on these kids, you have to arrest me, too. And me, too, said another mother. And me! shouted the rest of the mothers. Suddenly, standing in the doorway of City Hall was the mayor, a reporter, and a municipal engineer. What's going on here? the mayor asked. We need a playground. They want to arrest us. These people are starting a riot! They were all talking at once. Let the children speak, the librarian suggested. Yes, I'd like to talk to the children, said the reporter, getting out her notebook. They told her their story. When they were finished, the mayor turned to the municipal engineer. Is there space for them to have a playground? Yes! The children shouted together. I know where. We can show show you. Why don't you come and see it? asked the librarian. Um, said the engineer. 
Um, said the mayor. Tomorrow, tomorrow we'll look at it. I don't have time now. I'm very busy. But tomorrow, tomorrow for sure. <clears throat> Remember, we are here to serve you. Then the mayor shook hands with all the mothers. I knew it, said Camilla. I would very much like to go with you, said the reporter. So the children, the mothers, the librarian, and the reporter all went to see the empty lot. What do you want the playground to look like? the reporter asked. The children began to read their list. The reporter took lots of notes and wrote down everything on their sign. We need a playground with trees and shrubs and flower seeds, swings, an old tractor to climb on and sticks to dig with, a house for dolls, a lasso for, to play cowboys, lots of room for baseball, volleyball and soccer, to have races and fly kites, to play leapfrog, tag, kick the can, blind man's bluff and hide and seek, grass to roll on and do gymnastics, a patio to play on and a bench for our parents to sit and visit. The end. The next day the library was empty. The children sat on the steps. I think, sighed Camilla, I think that nothing's going to happen. Well, we went to City Hall again. We're big brothers and sisters. They'll put us in jail, Camilla said. A week passed. One day the librarian appeared in the doorway smiling. He was holding a newspaper with a huge headline, The Children of San Jose Take on City Hall. They ask for special park. The mayor doesn't come through. That's us. us, said Chio. We're famous, laughed Carlitos. Yeah, but they're still not going to do anything, said Camila. She was wrong. The same afternoon, the mayor, the municipal engineer, and three assistants came to the burial. We came to see the land for the playground. Soon we'll give it to you, they said proudly. Very soon, said the engineer. Very, very soon, smiled the mayor. Then it happened. One morning, the assistants tied a red ribbon across the entrance to the empty parking lot. At twelve o'clock sharp, the mayor, dressed very elegantly and with freshly shined shoes, came and cut the ribbon with an extra-large pair of scissors. I get it, said Camilla. There's an election soon, isn't there? After the big ceremony, I bet nothing will happen. This time, Camilla was right. Weeks passed and the engineers never came back. The empty lot that was supposed to be the little playground was just collecting garbage. Little by little, the adults forgot about it, but the children didn't. What happened, what happened to, to our playground? playground? The children asked. The adults always gave the same answer. The politicians always promise, but they never do anything. Carlitos, Camila, and Chio weren't satisfied. They sat on the edge of the mountain and looked down at the empty lot and thought about it all. Then Carlitos said, Why can't... We have a playground anyway. Are you crazy? It's very complicated. But if everybody helped, maybe. It was a crazy idea, but the young children started talking to their friends, who talked to their older brothers and sisters, who talked to their mothers, and the mothers talked to the fathers. One day, Carlitos heard his uncle and some friends arguing about the playground. His uncle banged the table. He said they could easily build the playground themselves. They didn't need the council but his friends were not so sure. Don't be crazy. Nobody cooperates here, not even to clean up the sidewalk. How could you get everyone to build them a playground? No, buddy. Everybody knows each other. They'll help, said Carlitos' uncle. Forget it. You'll end up building it yourself. Alone? No, I'll help you, said one of the men. I will too. Time passed and more and more people talked about the idea. The neighborhood committee organized a public meeting one Saturday. About 50 people came. 
The discussion lasted four hours and was very loud. We can't do it, said some. We can do it, said others. There seemed no way to agree. Carlitos's uncle and the children passionately defended the idea, but most of the parents doubted it could be done without the politician's help. After all the shouting, there was silence. It looked like the meeting was going to end that way until one mother remembered she had some planks of wood she didn't need. One father said he was a carpenter. One girl timidly said, In my house we have some rope to make a swing move. Everybody became very enthusiastic and suddenly they all had suggestions. I want to bring some nails, insisted one grandmother. Carlitos, Chio, and Camila all started jumping up and down. Really? going to happen! All the neighbors began to build the playground. They brought cement and bricks and buckets and sheets of aluminum and sandbags and old tires and wooden boards of every size. They nailed and hammered and dug holes and planted and sanded. They all worked in their spare time. On the wire fence, the children put up a sign they made themselves. San Jose Playground. Everybody come and play. The end. I was just a little girl, skinny legs and pressing curl. My mother always thought I'd be a star. Way before the record deal, streets that nurtured Lauren Hill made sure that I'd never go too far. Every ghetto, every city, and suburban place I've been. Make me recall my days in the New Jerusalem. Story starts in Hooterville. Grew up next to Ivy Hill when kids were stealing corner deals for fun. Kill a guy and caught a paw. Rode a mongoose till it's dark. Watching kids show off the stolen ones. Every ghetto, every city, and suburban place I've been. Make me recall my days in the New Jerusalem. You know it's hot, don't forget what you got. Looking back, looking back, looking back, looking back. back. You know it's hot, don't forget what you got. Looking back, looking back, looking back, looking back. Vagabond times 20 cents and a nickel. Springfield Lab had the best popsicles. Saturday morning cartoons and kung fu. Main Street, Roots, Tonic with the dress. A beef patty and some cocoa bread. Move the patch from my leaves to the tongue of my shoe. Remember, Freeland Heist used to have the bomb leather. Back when Doug Fresh and Slick Rick was together. Looking at the crew, we thought we'd all live forever. myself in paper. I'm gonna daub myself with glue. Stick some stamps on the top of my head. I'm gonna mail myself to you. Contact Radio Free School at grassroots at hwcn.org or mail P.O. Box 19, 
1280 Main Street West, Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, L8S1CO.